Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our second Calm COVID Convo. Today, we're going to home in on the team side of things. So we're calling it the people and culture side of things. Um, the idea of these web webinars is really just to take the stress, take the hype, take the drama out of everything we need to talk about with what's going on in the current environment, whether we're worried about the health side of things or whether we're worried about the economic side of things. We really just want to have a calm conversation in a relaxed way, but still leave you with some practical tips and takeaways that you can apply in your business um, as soon as you leave. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John Knight. I'm the Managing Director and Founder of Business Depot. I'm a Chartered Accountant. But more and more these days, I'm spending most of my time mentoring people, helping people with their strategy and their business plans. Of course, it's, it's these days that you know, we have clients ringing us every day to lean on our experiences, lean on what we know, whether it be from an accounting and tax perspective, but more and more on a deeper business perspective. And that's where these things come in. The gray hairs come in to help um, share some previous experiences for you to take it away and apply it in your business. Joining me today and joining me with all of our calm COVID combos is Rebecca Mahalik. Rebecca is Director of Business Depot Sydney and heads up our national tech advisory offering. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for having me again, John. I'm um, looking forward to being able to answer some of the questions that we've all got at this time around people in HR and really excited to have um, Justine and Anna with us today too. Yeah, so we've got um, Anna Chipperfield also with us today. So Anna is the Head of People and Culture at Business Depot. Anna looks after us internally, but also provides clients um, with services as well externally. And of course, we've got Justine Ansel. Justine, late addition to the panel, but awesome addition to the panel. Um, Justine is from IR Legal Services. So she has an employment law background. So great to have a lawyer um, on board with us today to answer any of your questions from an IR and HR perspective as well. So let's get into it. Let's have a calm COVID combo about people and culture and the different things to do with your team. So Justine, I want to start with you if you don't mind, because I know you've been fielding questions left, right and centre from small to medium business owners and their teams uh, with what's going on out there mm -hmm. at the moment. What would be that number one question that you're being asked at, the, at present? Uh, what do I do with my employees is the biggest one uh, around stand down, redundancy, uh, lots of what ifs around what if the government requires us to, start, to close down or mandated closures. So a lot around the ongoing management of employees is the biggest um, ticket item at the moment. So let's break some of that down a little bit because they've got people like me and Rebecca talking to them about don't bury your head in the sand, make sure you're considering your costs sooner rather than later. If they feel they do need to make some changes to their team, what are their options? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of misconception out there that there's only the stand down and that the stand down's that one size fits all solution uh, and it's not. There are a range of options available for employers and businesses uh, currently under the fair work regime. So I think your theme about being calm, COVID calm is a very good one. Um, businesses need to take stock and actually get the right <coughs> solution for them today uh, and also the right solution for them as we move through this crisis. So um, the range of options, of course, do include stand down, although they are extremely limited and not without risk if they're not used correctly uh, under the provisions of the Fair Work Act. And we've seen some of the bigger names like Qantas um, and then a lot of the retailers and airlines uh, moving towards stand downs of their employees. Uh, it's it's a situation where, yes, you stop the cost of the employee in terms of wages, but you're not stopping the cost of the employee from a leave perspective. So they're continuing to accrue leave and there's an added cost to that where their service is continuing. Um, there's, of course, redundancy. So if businesses are in a situation where they're not expecting to require that role going forward, uh, there's, of course, the redundancy option. But again, going back to uh, the support that Business Depot is providing to clients, 
that's not without cost. Um, and so there's quite a significant implication uh, if you're moving to redundancies. Uh, there are other strategies to look at as well. Um, so it's a good idea for businesses to understand what, where are we sitting with our employees? So what are their years of service? What are their accrued entitlements? So that we can have a look at those things. How is COVID-19 currently impacting on their business? And what is expected to uh, be occurring over the coming months? So is it the case that their business will go back to normal? Um, and I think there are a number of um, businesses out there. I've spoken to um, uh, people in the food manufacturing industry, uh, in the allied health industry, uh, in the um, uh, dental industry, who are all, uh, even hairdressers, there will be a big influx of work uh, coming at the end of the crisis when everyone can go back to normal. So if you move quickly and, and make your employees redundant now, how are you going to mobilise them? You've got no workforce left. Um, so really looking the options specific to your business is key. So that calm response is ideal in actually taking uh, you know, a bit of time and it only needs to be half an hour or 45 minutes to get some proper advice around what options are going to suit you and your business because what is suiting Qantas with a grounding of planes and, and nowhere to fly uh, in standing their employees down is very different proposition to a small business currently that may be able to operate in some form uh, and may or may not open their doors in six months' time. Um, so those specific business considerations need to be factored in as well as their cash flow uh, and all of those accounting elements and the support from the government too. So we heard from the PM uh, yesterday sort of suggesting to people to hold off uh, making decisions around redundancies until the wages subsidy um, uh, benefits are announced hopefully today. Uh, to try and support businesses. So you don't want to be cutting yourself off from those uh, uh, government support uh, systems either at this point in time. Yeah, okay. So we'll come back to the wage subsidies and we might dive into what they potentially might look like. But So mm. a few key takeaways from, from what you just shared there. So the stand down is really for those employees that you want to keep. But what I heard from you is they continue to be an employee. They're just not getting paid. Is that right? Yep. Uh, but they're accruing their entitlement. So there's still a cost associated with keeping them on the books. Yeah. So if they're there for another six months stood down, they're still accruing leave. They're still accruing service period, um, which would be relevant if you were to then make them redundant in the future. Correct. And that's why it's important to project forward to see what, what do we think is going to happen with your business in future, because it may actually be a cheaper proposition to make out redundancies now as opposed to in six months' time. So, so if you've got someone with a, with, a, with a small service period already, then maybe easier to do the redundancy. Um, uh, is, are any of you, question to, to any of the panellists, are any of you aware about the overlay of the Centrelink sort of side of things? I know I've had a lot of employers ask me, I want to make sure that if I do this with my team, that they're going to be entitled to the benefits that are available to mm. them. Um, has anyone been able to sort of um, identify what the requirements are there? I think the requirements... Sorry, John. The requirements are a little bit varied depending on the circumstances which the, with the, which the employees were either let go or left voluntarily, their personal circumstances around income and any other benefits they already have. So it's a, it's, um, it's a little bit of a minefield to sort of get through. But the, the best advice that I think that I've been actually giving them is to contact Centrelink directly because it will be different from employee to employee in the same business. Um, but know that there is support there to an extent that they can get. Um, the asset limits are gone, but unfortunately income limits are still there. So they just have to be a little bit wary about people who might have, say, um, high income spouses and what eligibility they'll actually have in that area then for um, payments from Centrelink. Can yeah, because they've already talked about changing the income, um, changing the income thresholds there, haven't they? They have. It hasn't happened yet, but uh, I imagine it will. And that actually might be part of what they're going to talk about today in ha hand in hand with the um, increased support for businesses and employees. Yep. And then you've got some comments on that one. Oh, I just, I kind of wanted to pose a question that came up with a couple of clients last week. And that was um, if, if stand down is an option, um, do they have to, and, and cash flows a problem? 
do they have to do any kind of payout of leave? Do they have to, can staff, are staff having to take leave first before they are stood down? Justine, have you had any kind of experience yet around these sort of rules? Yeah, so the stand down um, preserves the employment relationship, but obviously the employee is not getting paid. There's a lot of conjecture out there at the moment as to what that means in terms of being able to access your leave. When you're on leave, you're on paid leave, so you can't be on stand down at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, Qantas are currently, it looks like, heading to the Fair Work Commission with an industrial dispute with the unions around what happens to the employees they've stood down if they get sick. Are they able to access their personal carer's leave um, for that period of, of them being sick? Um, and those um, scenarios are still a little bit unclear. Um, what we're generally advising, though, is what is reasonable in your business Again, it's customised to what you are experiencing. So if it's a situation where your cash flow is severely hampered, an employee that is stood down asks for annual leave, if you don't have the capacity to pay that, it may be reasonable to say no. Where in other situations, we've got clients that are saying, take all your annual leave, take all your long service leave, let's keep you on paid leave as long as possible, and then we'll move to the leave without pay or stand down option. So again, it's going to vary um, but there's no, no black and white answers. But at this stage, it's really what the business pretty much can afford um, mm. in terms of those leave entitlements. Yeah. So if, if someone stood down, do we know that's sufficient to get access to Centrelink or do they need to be yeah. made redundant? That's a really good point, John. So um, Centrelink and the, and the government came out pretty early. So if you're stood down because of COVID-19 or the impact of that on your business, um, or you have been terminated because of the impact of COVID-19, um, my understanding is that, you, yes, you can access the Centrelink um, New Start and COVID-19 supplements. Um, that's not to say there isn't support for employees if their hours or their salary are reduced. So we also have, which is sort of relevant to the sole trader issue as well, in terms of having early access to your superannuation. So there's a 20% loss of hour threshold at the moment. So employees that might be on um, lower or modern award rates of pay that might experience a, a loss in hours um, and are experienced that financial detriment may be able to access their super early. So there's a range of support. Uh, as well as what the, the new wages subsidy is, is proposed to look like as well. Yep. Um, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the questions going for you there, Justine, but yep. with the lockdown scenario, um, just to bring back to that, because you raised that before, what, how does it work if there is a lockdown and, and people are told you can't work? Yeah, so, for, so the lockdown is, I think, sort of a media term that's come up, which I think the PM's trying to discourage people from using because it freaks everyone out. Um, but the, the, the yeah. issue is if there's a mandated government closure, um, so um, we've seen already with um, restaurants and cafes last Monday, um, that means they can't operate to, um, as business as usual. Um, and so if that happens and there's a stoppage of work because of that, it's a cause for which... The employer has no control, uh, then you may be able to lawfully utilise the stand down provisions under the Fair Work Act, which, as I said earlier, are very limited. If you get it wrong and you go early and you use those stand down provisions and you don't meet the requirements in the Act, the risk at the back end is having a, an arbitrated claim in the Fair Work Commission, a potential order for compensation, um, you know, the whole inconvenience of having to deal with that and the unknown of that. So you really want to be testing to make sure there's a stoppage of work for a cause for which the employer cannot be held responsible for, but also that you don't have other work for the employee to do. So a restaurant is a prime example of that. They've been mandated to close. They can't have um, patrons inside the, the restaurant, but they can still serve takeout. So for that business, the employees that they can still utilise, uh, the cooks, the person, the cashier, uh, can still gainfully be employed despite that mandated closure because they can do a takeout service, then those employees couldn't lawfully be stood down. But perhaps all the waiters uh, and maybe some of the other chefs in the business could be stood down without pay. So again, there's, there's so many variables in this in terms of uh, what options are going to be available for your business. Um, but if we, if we are all in a lockdown, like an Italy scenario where everything's closed other than absolute essential services, yep. um, then we, we would be seeing a lot more of the stand down uh, without pay scenario occurring across the board. 
We've got a couple okay. of questions around the stand down that have come through. Maybe we'll jump to a few of those while we're still on topic, if that's okay. So um, we've got a question here from Julia, actually a couple of here. Um, so if we reduce staff from five days to two days and they request another three days paid from annual leave, aren't they obligated to pay that leave? Yeah, so normally, and there'll be lots of questions on stand down, I think, because there's lots of variables here. Um, but ordinarily, um, leave can be requested by the employee or an employer can direct it in certain circumstances. And we have a lot of regulation in the Fair Work Act and, and the modern awards that we're trying to navigate around. Um, but if an employee asks for annual leave, then normally it's a case that the employer can't reasonably refuse it. So again, you've got to look at the circumstances in that business. So is it the case that the business has had a chronic um, loss of cash flow um, and, and doesn't have uh, you know, the equity or capital in its business um, to pay the annual leave for those three days? And it might be not unreasonable for them to say no. Um, what we're encouraging people to do is you know, maintain those relationships with your employees, particularly if you need them at the back end post the crisis. Uh, and work out solutions that are going to work for your business and also work for your employees. So that might be a mix of you keep working, but we've only got work left for two days a week and you take some, uh, some annual leave. We've just seen over the weekend uh, changes to the Clark's Award and hopefully we'll see changes to other modern awards coming through. Uh, as the crisis deepens, uh, where there's now capacity to take annual leave on a half pay arrangement. So you get twice the period of leave off for, for, that, um, for that amount. So there are lots of avenues to, to utilise in terms of trying to cope with the reduced workload and try and manage uh, your employees on a reduced cost basis. Remember that leave costs money. Um, so if you've got someone on annual leave, it's really no different to them working. So you might agree to that in scenarios where there's a bit of a stop start um, with work perhaps and the workflow is, is um, not as consistent as it was and you still need to bring the employee back um, from time to time to do work. You could certainly look to uh, annual leave, any long-serving employees that have access to their long service leave. And again, we're seeing some freeing up of the restrictions around long service leave. We've just had changes last week uh, in New South Wales where previously an employee could only take a minimum of one month's annual uh, long service leave, um, which when you look at it, you think, gosh, that's really restrictive. They've reduced it down so an employee could take one or two days lots. So you could conceivably have an employee reduced workload, uh, so therefore reduced hours, ordinary hours of work per week on two days and then taking a mix of some leave, maybe some leave on half pay if it's allowed, whether it's annual leave or long service leave or even a period of leave without pay. Remember that you can't use the stand down unless there's a stoppage of work. So it's not going to work in those types of scenarios where you're just trying to find enough for the employees to do over the course of the week and you're trying to manage or reduce your cost, your employee cost um, over the, the course of those weeks as well as your, your income is impacted. I'm sorry, I've got really long so really those questions. <laughs> <laughs> so really those ones where the industry has been shut down, they're the ones where the stand down is, is, is most effective. Yeah. And so you hit on a yeah. point then. You hit on a point there about um, you still got to have the cash to pay the leave if, mm. if people um, have leave. If you stand someone down and they have a leave entitlement, can you choose not to pay that leave or do you have to pay the leave if they've got an entitlement? Yeah, so that, that's, I think, part of the question that um, Qantas is currently grappling with where employees will go off um, sick uh, or be impacted by COVID-19 or another illness during that stand down. When you're on the stand down, you're on the stand down. So it's a stand down period without pay. Um, employment still exists and service still exists. Um, but if soon as you go on annual leave, it, it kicks you out of stand down, if you like. Um, so in those scenarios, it, it's still a little bit unclear as to whether you can refuse uh, an employee access to long service leave, annual leave, personal carers leave whilst on stand down. The general argument is no, once you're on stand down, you're on stand down and you're on stand down without pay because there's no work for you to do. There wouldn't otherwise have been work there for you to do. Um, so at this point in time, hopefully we will get some further clarity from uh, perhaps the Fair Work Ombudsman, um, probably the, the Fair Work Commission. Um, as we progress through this, because these kinds of questions, as well as things like public holidays popping up, 
um, over the next few weeks with Easter uh, are all going to be front of mind for people. And it's your timing as well. Um, we've certainly yeah. seen a lot of businesses trying to reduce those leave balances down before they then get to a, or reduce the working week down until they get that stoppage and then moving to, to stand down. So it's not, it's not a option that's going to be automatically available for everyone. It's only available in very limited circumstances at the moment for those stand downs. Okay. Thank you, Justine. Anna, I might throw to you now um, and ask you, um, because you come at it from a different angle to Justine. Justine obviously comes at it from more the legal angle. What's one of the questions you're being asked the most when people are ringing you to talk about team and what they're looking to do with their team? Well, all of those. <laughs> Other than those, we've covered those. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm at a mental blank because at the moment we are getting all the legal questions. I can probably approach this from an internal perspective, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so um, we're getting questions. Um, I suppose what we're keeping an eye on with our team at the moment, we might be jumping around a little bit, is how they're coping with the idea of not being in the office. Um, and so some of them, you know, extroverted personalities who are used to socialising with each other at lunch breaks and you know, walking along the corridor and seeing each other, you know, and having a quick chat. We're, we're sort of trying to figure out ways constantly and, and reviewing how we're handling that when we're all remote. So that's probably one of the things that's front of mind. And some people are handling this better than others, you know, taking in their stride, um, enjoying the tranquilness of being of working from home. Um, and then others are just freaking out. So it's, it's being able to manage that. I think is is part of the part of the challenge. See, see, I don't think I would use the word tranquil in the same <laughs> sentence as working from. It's because you have children and pets, like I do. Yeah, no, don't stand there. There's a but couple. To go a bit of, um, sorry, John. I've, I was I've just going to say to go a bit deeper on that. I was going to say or going to ask. Um, about well, do we have any obligations from a workplace health and safety perspective with with this working from home? Yeah, so just because your employee isn't at your workplace doesn't mean you're still responsible for them. So the, you still need to ensure the safety and well-being of your staff whilst they're working from home. So, um, you know, they'll still obviously be covered by workers' compensation. So um, certainly making sure you minimise the risks um, of employees working from home is critical. Um, ideally, um, businesses should be doing some sort of assessment of an employee employees workspace at home to make sure it's as safe as possible because a lot of these will have just appeared overnight so mm. um, you can see I'm sitting in a, a, a you know purpose-built home office um, and so mine's nice and safe it's secure I've got you know all the safety equipment that you need a lot of employees aren't going to have that they'll have literally raced out to get a desk and a computer but you need mm. to you still need to take steps because you will be liable if they um, are injured whilst at home whilst working the, the other two oh, things Yep. Sorry, so, Justin. I was just going to say the other two things are also think about your information. So particularly if you don't have sophisticated IT systems uh, and your employees are emailing documents to their personal uh, email addresses, where's your intellectual property in the confidentiality sitting? Um, and it's probably uh, a, a check on, on that to make sure you're not losing valuable information or you know, there's a lot of cybercrime and all those things going around. So um, it's just certainly looking at it from that perspective as well. Yeah. And uh, can you maybe share some of the practical things, even if you just want to share from what we do internally at Business Depot to cover off on that workplace health and safety side of things? Yeah. So um, every team member had to complete a checklist that was produced by a workplace health and safety consultant. And they are, I'm, I'm sure there are ones that you can get online. You don't need to I, don't, I mean, Justine can probably jump in here too, but um, we filled that in first. Um, we also did an IT check with everybody to see what sort of equipment that they could use. We have a combination of things. So we do have a setup here in the office that the team member, if they've got a good modem set up with a blue cable, if everybody knows what blue cable is, they can take that home. Or if they've got a laptop um, at home, we got, got them to bring it in to make sure that all of our um, everything would work on it, obviously taking into consideration what Justine's saying around um, confidentiality and that kind of stuff. Um, we, what else did we do? Um, we also um, started to um, put together um, 
things like how is people's internet speed? Is it going to be successful for them to be able to get through their day? Can they access all the data they need to access? Um, and then think, at, at being the employer and being responsible for their home setup, we have to consider whether or not we need to potentially um, contribute to that in whatever way that yeah. we need to. Yeah, I mean, I loved how we, we sort of had two checklists, didn't we? We had the workplace health and safety one, which was photo of the desk. Does everything look okay and safe? Because we're still responsible. Yeah. But the second one was the one that I really liked, which was also about how do you think you're going to cope sitting in a room on your own or at home on your own all day and getting more into that personality types um, so that we can have a heads up in advance of, of how people might react in different situations. And the other thing we did with that too was use that checklist to set the rules within our organisation. You've got to, you know, you've got to say good morning when you come in in the morning at eight thirty or quarter past eight or whatever it is that your time, the time start time is. Um, what happens when you're away from your desk? You know, we've got certain technology around. We use Slack, um, and you're away from your desk scenario, or you're always on remote working, which most people are at the moment. Um, and little things like that. So we know what people are up to because you just can't see them. And I think, Rebecca, you mentioned um, when we were chatting about this earlier that you just can't walk up to someone's desk and see that they're there. So it's having, you know, different ways of knowing that people are, are available. That's right. And because it's no longer really, really clear when people are available, we're encouraging the team to book time in with each other if they have to have a one-on-one -on -one chat and we're having regular catch-ups during the day. It's either twice or uh, sometimes three times a day. Definitely every morning we have our regular catch-up now via Zoom. We're having another check-in, making sure that you're all still okay and all good for tomorrow in the afternoon. And if we need to, if it's a big day, if there's big announcements, we're having another one in the middle of the day. And I think you make an interesting point there too, sorry, John, is that it, I think now that we're working from home, I think we need to have more communication rather than less. I think that's really, really crucial. Yeah, and it I needs to be managed a in a things. different way. Sorry, mm. John. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's a few key things in there, wasn't there? That, you know, one of the things we said was if you say g'day to people when you walk in the office in the morning, no reason you can't do that using technology when you get to work in the morning. If you, if, you go over, if you used to go over and stand next to a desk to talk to somebody, then do it by way of a video call rather than um, just getting on the phone or sending a message because so much is lost in the communication. We've also mentioned a few technology pieces there. So I think, Anna, you mentioned Slack, which we use for internal messaging and actually also has some video call functionality. Um, Rebecca, you mentioned um, Zoom. Zoom. Mm -hmm seems to be our preferred um, video conferencing tool. Is there any other technology? And I'll probably direct this to you, Rebecca. Any other technology you're seeing people utilise for the remote working? Well, what we've done as well, because we actually had a new staff member join us just before we, we've effectively started to work from home. So that's an interesting concept to train someone remotely now that we've never really had to do. So um, we've started really embracing a product called Loom, which is like Zoom, but what it is, um, it's, a tr it's more of a training video tool. So it can video me while I'm speaking and what's on my screen to give really crystal clear instructions of what I need to occur for a particular task. And um, it's actually been a really fantastic tool because then that's become part of our training library now. So it's been a, an, a wonderful addition to our tech stack. Yeah, I just, had, I just had a message through, John. John, I just had a message through from someone listening in that said, um, as long as communicate, communication isn't done by email, like more and more communication, don't, don't cop out of using some of this um, video um, communication because it's going to be so important for that social connection. I completely agree. Email, too much email is not good. And you miss the signs, don't you? Like you miss yeah. the body language when you're just doing it. You know, Slack, if people are just messaging, I see that get out of control, just like email does at different points in time. Mm. You miss those cues that someone didn't like you, what you just said, or, you know, maybe you're a little bit brutally honest by, by putting it that way. Whereas if it was delivered face to face, it's amazing how much um, better received it may be. Um, what about... Um, in these situations, different people deal with stress differently as well. And even if, um, if we think about those within our team who get more stressed about this situation than, than others, do you have any tips on that one, um, Anna, as to how to deal with, I suppose, different personality types? 
we'll know them for a start. And I think you're right about the video conferencing side of things because at least you can gauge. Um, we've got a few team members that don't necessarily want it all the doom and gloom and want to hear about it every single day, all day, every day, and not necessarily appreciating the jokes um, and things like that. So I think it's, I mean, the managers and leaders who are managing your team remotely have got, you know, a bit of responsibility to kind of gauge all of that, understand their team members, have a one-on-one -on -one check in with them. So we're not relying on team a group um, conversations all the time because you don't, won't necessarily get everybody being completely honest um, in a team environment. So a one-on-one, -on -one, um, I don't, I'm not proposing how regular that should be, but it should be fairly regular. If it's not once a week, um, it's probably not regular enough. And it only needs to be 15 minutes, but then you can gauge the individual um, a little bit more and ask probably some more sort of specific questions to them and get a gauge of how they're feeling about everything. Okay, I'm going to try something a bit different here now. Madonna has raised her hand and, uh, and I think she has a question. So, Madonna, if you're ready, I'm going to allow you to talk and to ask your question. Hi, Madonna. Um, she's just popped out of the room. I'll just go grab her. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach me. I'll come back. I'll come back. Yep. Okay. Um, Okay, can now I, I've lost can I just tie a couple of John? Can I just tie a couple of things off with the working from home um, arrangement? Um, so uh, obviously, you still want to make sure you know what your employees are doing um, mm. from a work hour piece. So um, if you've got an award covered employee, you should still be getting them to fill out timesheets so you know the ordinary hours or any additional hours that they're working, so you don't have surprises when we go back to normal um, and potential claims for additional payment. Um, but also um, We've had some changes to the Clarks Award. We're hoping that they'll come through on other awards, which has actually allowed a greater span of hours for ordinary hours. So instead of it being 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., it's now 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. So it factors in that people will have, you know, additional family responsibilities when they've got kids at home and they're trying to navigate their work hours. Um, so there is a bit of flexibility building in there, but you know, remember your normal policies and procedures apply. So your code of conduct still applies. So if people are sending around jokes to lighten the mood, they still need to be appropriate from a workplace perspective because mm. you're still, you're working remotely. Um, so the rules of home don't apply. The rules of, rules of your business would still apply. It's just trying to get people to remember there's still those boundaries that they need to comply mm. with from a legal perspective as well. And can I just add to that um, with the accountability piece? Is that, I agree with Justine. It's still the same as if they're in the office. You know, what are you doing today? What are you up to today? What have you got to get done today? We're all doing that. Um, the teams are all chiming in first thing in the morning and putting their list up of what they've got to get done today. So it doesn't change. Is there any other tips or anything else we need to think about from a performance perspective? I just like to add to what Anna just said. Well, that's actually not just important to making sure that the team's working. That's actually very important on that end. But it also gives you an ability to really check the capacity of what's going on in your team to ensure as they're working from home that they're all doing what you need to get done and whether or not you need to address any capacity planning issues as all of our businesses start to get a little bit impacted by what's going on, a little bit of restrictions here and there or a lot more work coming in one way or another. By having clear visibility constantly over people's task lists, you can understand who is either overworked or underworked potentially and how to best manage that across your whole team. The accountability is all about the discussion, really, isn't it? You can produce as many reports as you like with KPIs and performance metrics, but it's actually about that discussion and really is what's the gap that you're, what are you missing that would enable you to actually achieve your goals or achieve what you want to achieve? Okay, Madonna, let's see if you're, if you're back in the, in the room. Madonna, are you there? I am. How are you? Sorry, I had to take an important call. <laughs> That's all right. Um, you raised your hand. Did you have a question? Yeah, so I've been working with Anna, and thank you, Anna, for um, dealing with me uh, in respect to our business in North, Queens, North Queensland. Um, but the question is in respect to, and I think you put it out as well, um, about the business, the fact that we are a small business and we have director's uh, distribution rather than a wage. And if we are looking at this as a long-term um, outcome, like, for example, if this goes on for three to six months, obviously, as an SME, your cash flow is going to diminish because you're living off it. Um, 
has there been any further announcements from the government in respect of that? And is there anything that you could offer as advice? Throw to you, Rebecca, if you like. John, um, unfortunately, there hasn't actually been any more announcements in regards to a way to actually support that for directors who haven't usually taken out wages out of a business. Um, what we have received, though, is some strict guidance around all of a sudden popping those wages into a bass for March or for June or any other quarters to take advantage of the, um, the stimulus payments that are being made. They will review your recent history to compare whether or not you had recently been declaring wages. And if you did try to change that up now, they would be looking to do things like potentially review your earlier payments, see if they should have been wages and if you should have been paying super and work cover and those items on them. So unfortunately, there's not a lot more that we can do right now, but we are hoping that the government is going to bring out some part of their stimulus package that will um, address that because it's, it's not just the directors of small businesses that are impacted there. It's people who receive trust distributions, partners in partnerships, sole traders. All these people right now haven't really been addressed yet. And um, I know our lobbying bodies have been addressing that with um, the government. So hopefully it's going to be in one of the next few stimulus packages to come out and we'll keep you up to date. Yeah, thank you. There's a real group of people who are these self-employed people who don't pay themselves by way of wage, um, who unfortunately are missing out at the moment. The only things really available is whether they can get these Centrelink benefits and are able to access their super um, a bit earlier. The only other overarching comment I'd make on that, Madonna, is that we expect that that is not the intention. We expect that this outcome is not what the government intended to be a result. And so we're hoping, fingers crossed, um, and we've got um, someone from, from CA online here who I know they are lobbying the government in regards to this as well, that they will come out with something specific for uh, the self-employed. Yeah, Thank you for the only... question, Madonna. Thank you. Okay, we've got any other questions there, Rebecca, that we should throw to? We actually do have um, a few others. We've got another one here around, uh, there's a couple in here on Centrelink. I'm actually not gonna answer them in detail other than to say that we're not the Centrelink experts and that if you do think that you have some sort of eligibility for a payment, please register with Centrelink. Do it as soon as humanly possible. It's a process to get through and they do have a bit of a backlog. So even if you might not be eligible right now and you'll be eligible later, get in there, get your details in, get your CRN. They have a comprehensive process where they actually go through, you give them all their, your details and then they tell you what they think you're eligible for. And that's the best way to go about anything yep. with Centrelink at this stage. Um, we've and got Rebecca, we're going to try and have another webinar in the future with someone who has that Centrelink skills. Because I know most people are coming at that from the angle of if they're making their team redundant or they're standing in there, they want to know what, what is available for them. That's right. Here's a question that's probably good to be answered by you, John. Um, are you aware if, the real, if real estate agents have been deemed an essential service like they are in the UK? Um, I don't know. I haven't heard of them being bundled into a central service. So I would say they haven't, except he's also said if they've got a job, they're essential services. Um, so um, obviously the, the changes came out of all the announcements this week where you can no longer have a big group of people within an auction, but we can have online auctions. You can't have a big group of people through an open house, but we can do video viewings and those types of things. So yes, I don't believe they've been um, identified as essential, except if you've got a job. Um, ScoMo is saying that's essential at the moment, isn't he? That's right. Any others on there, Rebecca? Yeah, there's quite a few. There's a couple more around um, stand down. Um, so just um, probably shooting now back over to you, Justine. Um, yep. on, on a legality point of view, is there a difference between um, leave without pay and being stood down? Yeah, there is. And um, I, I think from just going back to the Centrelink issue, um, if you, so what we're trying to support clients in is that whatever your agreed outcome is with your employees, so whether it's 
an hours slash pay reduction um, if you're using the stand downs and able to under the Fair Work Act, uh, or you're doing redundancies, that the, the termination letter or the variation letter that you're using reflects what's the decision or the basis of the decision with COVID-19 because that's going to help uh, businesses, uh, sorry, it's going to help employees when they do go down to Centrelink. If they have a stand-down letter that confirms their employment's been uh, stood down without pay but they remain employed, uh, my understanding is that Centrelink will accept that um, for the new start and the COVID-19 supplement payments. Yeah. Uh, and also if you're terminated, normally what happens is there's an employment separation certificate that's available on Centrelink's website that the employer is legally obligated to provide if an employee requests and they fill out all of that and it goes into Centrelink and they can assess what an employee is eligible for by way of that support. Apparently Centrelink has come out to indicate that that uh, employment separation certificate is not required but what we're certainly recommending is that you put enough detail into the variation or termination letter for an employee um, so that they can take it down and there's no undue delay at Centrelink. So being very clear about it's because of the impact of COVID-19 and we're also going a step further and making sure employees you know, they're going to be very um, impacted by this, um, emotionally distracted. They're not always going to know what support is available to them. Um, so just giving them a bit of assistance in putting in those letters the, the relevant website, which is Services Australia's website, for them to go on to and click on the link and then they can navigate that online to try and get as much support as they can as quickly as they can. Um, if you're on leave without pay, um, that's generally by agreement between the employee and the employer. So it's not a stand down um, and it's not treated as a stand down. Um, I'm yet to um, be aware that uh, Centrelink is accepting leave without pay uh, as a trigger for the COVID-19 and the new start supplements. But you could be on leave without pay and your hours of work have reduced by the threshold, which I think is 20% that may uh, make you eligible for uh, early access to your super. Um, but leave it, leave it up pay can't be forced like stand down. So they're very different. They're used yeah. in very different scenarios and you need agreement from the employee and it may not uh, trigger the ability to get that support you would otherwise get from the government with stand down and redundancy. Okay, I think we might answer one more question about stand down and then beyond that, we might get people to um, contact you and have a look at engaging. <laughs> so many services. questions. I yeah. know. I think it's, it's a term that not a lot of people heard about until a few weeks ago and now it's everywhere. It's um, very it, rarely used normally. So it's a, you know, very extreme circumstances in which you can actually use it. I think I probably only, I can count on one hand how many stand down cases I've had in 20 years of doing employment law. So they're very, very rare, but becoming very popular very quickly. Yeah. This last question is just around, um, so we talked about a stand down occurring when business has to be shut down. What if a business is shut down, but it doesn't actually have to be. So in the case of um, mm. a hairdressing salon, they haven't been told that they have to close their doors, but the reality is they can't really trade right now. So they've closed them down. Can they stand down their staff? That's a loaded question. Sorry. <laughs> and you'll get me in trouble for answering it. Look, the, the, um, there's a test in the Fair Work Act, so it must be a stoppage of work for which the employer cannot be held responsible for and you also uh, need to be able to comply with the fact that there's no other work that you can get an economic value out of from your employees in order to stand down. Um, if there's a slackness in trade, which is reduced numbers through the door, that doesn't automatically trigger the ability to stand down. But what we have seen over the weekend is Maya, DJs, all the big retailers, hairdressers, I think Just Cuts was in there as well, where they've said, we're closing our doors and we're standing our employees down. Now, that hopefully those bigger organisations have got legal advice. You'd need to look at the individual circumstances impacting the business. If it's the case that it's a uh, retailer, for example, uh, that has had its supply chain stopped by the um, COVID-19 impacting China's manufacturing sector two months ago and that supply has dwindled uh, and they can't open the doors because they've got no product to sell, that might legitimately be a stoppage in work for which... They, they can't be held responsible for. It's not, not a cause that they've created. That might be enough for a stand down. The mandated closures 
are usually looking at that stand down option, except for, you know, a cafe that can still trade because they can do takeaway. Um, so it's very much going to depend on what is happening in your business as to whether you can use those stand down provisions or not. Ordinarily, no, the slackness in trade wouldn't allow you, but there's so many variables at the moment impacting businesses. You just want to have a look at that. Hairdressing's probably a good example because they sort of got told they can't do haircuts longer than half an hour. So let's say these hairdressers therefore condensed all the, the appointments they had and you know worked all as many hours as they could to get that done. And then the next day they changed their opinion. And so you know, there has been things that have happened yeah. that have impacted their ability to trade. And if they've cancelled all of their, if they've gone through, like my hair just did and my hair appointment, as you can see, was due on Thursday when they closed everyone down and then decided to reopen. Um, but uh, it will just, it will depend on what's happened in the business. So if they've called and cancelled all of their appointments for the next four weeks and they, they can't get anyone to come in because of the risk, um, it might be that there's a stoppage in uh, work that is sufficient for them to stand down. The important the reason why this is so important to get advice on and get it right is if you get it wrong and you use it when you're not legally entitled to use it, the risk is a Fair Work Commission case against your business uh, where the directors and the company can be liable and orders for back pay of and putting those employees back in the position they would have been in had they been paid. And the last thing any business needs at the moment is they call us down down without getting proper advice and considering the individual circumstances facing that business and in three or six months time an employee or a union agitates and makes a claim against them it look at the at the end of the day it's definitely the lower risk in the scheme of things um but really going back to your sort of opening comments john be try and be calm and considered in making these decisions in the business because you, you just the the criticality of getting them right um, is so important so you don't have problems later. Um, so it's definitely one you'd be wanting to road test and get advice on before you before you move to stand down. Good advice. Can I just... Um, there's been some... I'm just having a look at the Q&A, but there's some questions around yesterday they said anybody over a certain age mm. self-isolate. Mm. Um, now, where do we stand as employers on this one, Justine? Because maybe we've got some people in our business who um, are older mm. and they might have some conditions and um, they've been told potentially by, well, the government or their doctor to, to self-isolate. Uh, do we as employers have to pay them? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And I'm just, just going to try and Google discreetly while I was talking to you. Um, I'm not sure that the direction from the Prime Minister was mandatory. I think mm. it was if you can stay home and you're, I think he even said over 60, you yeah. really should be going out. So there's no mandate to say yeah. that someone at plus 60 or plus 70 cannot go out. Um, and so if they aren't able to work from home, which is where we're all being encouraged to do our work now, um, and they still need to come to work, I don't think it's the case that the um, Prime Ministers, and I could be wrong, I'd need to check the wording he used, but they would still be able to go to work. And obviously that's their choice. So employee needs to be ready, willing and able to work. Um, if it's a mandated requirement that they can't get to work then there might not be a requirement to pay them and again you know if you want to retain your employees keep them engaged keep them loyal you need them at the back end of this crisis you want to be talking to them and working through a solution that's going to work for both of you and they might they might have been a very long serving employee with a whole stack of long service leave that they've never used that you've got to pay out at some point anyway and so it might work uh, to get to an agreement to have that employee go on uh, some period of paid leave or a period of paid and unpaid leave. Um, I, I would just want to check what the mandate from the Prime Minister was yesterday, but I don't think it was a compulsory requirement. Yep. Um, and so what if, if that a, person not to work, then they don't get paid. Yeah. What if it's a doctor's instruction, just thinks there's a question on there whether the yeah. staff member is directed by a doctor given their risk yeah. to, um, to self-isolate. Yeah. Do you think that maybe just becomes sick leave then or...? Yeah, so sick leave again, we've got all these restraints in Fair Work and the Modern Awards. So you must be suffering from an illness or injury in order to be eligible to take personal carer's leave. So the issue becomes that the employees possibly uh, question whether they're not fit to work. It's just that they shouldn't go to work because there's a, a risk there. So look, they may not be able to take personal carer's leave and they may need to take a period of leave without pay for that period if they 
decide as a precaution, I don't want to put myself at risk in going out uh, or into that workplace and I would prefer to stay at home. But of course, if you can get the employee to work from home or do something useful uh, remotely, um, then you'd be wanting to do that. Um, but in that case, it, look, it may be agreement to take some leave uh, or be looking at a period of leave without pay if they're not sick. If they're sick, then of course, they can take personal care leave. They can substantiate that. Good. Because I think ScoMo gave that advice well when he was when he was talking about the landlords and the tenants sit down and work it out. But yeah. I feel as an employer, it's not as easy as that with fair work and so forth in the background. We can't just sit down and do a deal, can we? It's so regulated. Um, so every scenario, there, there are lots of roadblocks you've got to navigate. We are seeing some loosening of those provisions um, coming through. So we had the hospita hospitality award change last week as a result after the mandated changes, which wasn't ideal, um, and the clerks award change on Saturday. We've seen some changes to the New South Wales long service leave legislation this week as well. So I think the government's recognising that there are lots of constraints on businesses to try and get a solution that works for them. If it's, you, can you take leave or we're directing you to take leave? There's lots of rules around that. So hopefully we'll see a loosening of those. Sounds like the government's taken a bit more time this time before they implement any further mandated closures so we don't have the same situation where there's an en masse stand down of employees without pay and a massive line of unemployment uh, Centrelink uh, you know, requests. So I think hopefully it'll be managed on a uh, better basis this time with some more flexibility coming in in fair work. Okay. I want to try and answer as many of these questions as we can. So we might do some quick fire questions. You got some more there, Rebecca? Yeah, I've actually got a couple here that I would um, think maybe you and Anna might be able to answer here. So we've got, not sure if you've covered this question, um, what we're looking, what about looking after and engaging with your offshore team? So Business Depot does have an offshore team. So um, how are we now managing, communicating with them over Zoom daily now versus before and any tips that we've got to keep them comfy, happy and productive? I mean, my comment there would be we try and, um, try and treat our offshore team exactly the same way we treat our, our onshore team. And so, yeah, we're on Slack with them and they're on the same channels as everybody else. So we try and keep them engaged as, as we do with every, with every other team member. You know, Fridays, we usually do Puppy Friday in the office. And so last Friday, we got everyone to send a picture in of their pet. Um, and so the guys in the Philippines contributed to, to that. Um, would you add anything to that, Anna? Well, I mean, I think what's interesting about this is that the guys in the Philippines um, previously wouldn't have been able to participate in Doggy Friday. We didn't mm. even think of it because they can't actually walk their dog into the office. So this is actually, I think it's improved the communication with our offshoring team from a connection perspective. But I mean, I'm not sure what these guys are doing now with their offshore team, but whatever you're doing, do more of it, um, not less of it. Yeah, good one. Got another one, Rebecca? I do. So, um, and actually Business Depot, we've had this happen as well at Sydney recently. Um, in the situation we've had a staff member returning from consignment during this period, um, what are expectations as far as reintegration and working from home? Um, do we, uh, as far as expectations are concerned, I can't see that that would be any different than reintegrating or having anybody else in your team work from home. So if you're bringing them back into this model, it's just rolling out the exact same thing that you've done, that you're doing with all of your other team members, inviting them in, making sure that they're in Zoom across your workflow and that they have their jobs to do and they understand that utilizing technology like Zoom and like Loom to train them on things they might not know yet and um, just keep up the conversation in the same way. Yeah, and to add to that, I'd say, I mean, if, if someone's coming back from long service leave or, or a big block of leave, you're going to have a sit-down meeting with them, aren't you? And you're going to actually talk about what's next and what do we need to concentrate on and where do you need to focus your time? So it's no different. And if I could just add to that, in any businesses that have employees currently on leave, so if you've got employees currently on long service leave or maternity leave, you need to be communicating with them and letting mm. them know what's going on. Gonna... If you've got um, changes going on in the business, you may have legal obligations to notify and consult with them as well. So don't forget about the people that aren't ordinarily uh, in the business on those types of leave as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Does anybody... Um, Very good. Just... 
Sorry. Does anyone in this chat have any um, information around New Zealanders that may have been here for less than 10 years and being made redundant and if they're eligible for any support measures? I know that I've had a couple of people um, that I've seen raise that as a question and um, my understanding is not really at this time. Except if they are an employee and they've been made redundant um, here, then they they should have been uh, given the required notice and the redundancy severance if that applies. So they, they should still be getting the same entitlements an Australian employer would get, I would think. Um, it's a question of what support then is available to them post that. Thanks, Justine. Um, there's a couple of other questions in here. Are we going to try to get through all of these, John? Um, well, I saw one other one in there from Sharon. If work slows down and we are only required staff to work reduced hours, can we make them take holidays? So this is another one where we've got lots of roadblocks and regulations. In it, you'll have to look at what relevant award, modern award applies to those employees. Um, pull out your employment contracts or any industrial instrument like an enterprise agreement you have. Check the terms of those first. The modern awards do have restrictions around when you can direct and how you can direct an employee onto annual leave. Um, we are, as I said, seeing some changes and some loosening of those provisions. So under the hospitality award now, you can direct an employee onto annual leave within 24 hours under Clark's award uh, one week. Uh, normally un under most awards, it's four weeks, but only where an employee has excessive leave accrual. So we have lots of constraints. All of the long service leave acts are different in each state, so you need to have a look at those to see uh, whether you've, it's a one-week period, a one-month period. In some states, it's a 12-week period before you can direct an employee on to leave. So that's one that you probably want in your bag of tricks um, at the ready to know if we need to move on that when, uh, just so you've got, you've got that as a mechanism if you need it. If you can get agreement from the employees, you can go on leave straight away. So the, the quickest and easiest way to try and get some agreed position with an employee to take some leave during the week uh, or a block of leave, uh, or even as we're now seeing some scope to take leave on half pay as well. Okay. The NDN is giving us a bit of a message given we've got a lot of frozen sort of faces here on my screen at least at the moment. So. We might start to wrap it up there. For anyone who we didn't get to your question, apologies for that. Please don't hesitate to reach out and we will um, do our best to try and guide you or direct you with that question. I will ask each of our panellists though, to just give us one quick word of advice to a business owner out there going through what we're going through at the moment. And who wants to go first? I'll go first. <laughs> Um, I think this consulting piece, this talk to your employees individually, find out what their situation is, find out what they're capable of doing, um, really understand where they're at, communicate, communicate. That would be my pet one piece. Good one. Justine. I would say know your options. So stand down is not your only option. There are a range of different mechanisms you can use and know where your business is going. Um, how is it impacted now and where is it headed? And then you can certainly get some customised solutions to help you with cost-saving measures uh, and, and uh, managing your employee load as well. So know your options. We've lost John. We have lost <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> That's okay. Um, well, I would say my one thing that I would actually encourage people to do is that if you do engage and start to have a work from home team, make sure that you're speaking to them regularly during the day, just to keep those flows of communication, not just amongst yourself and them, but the, um, the whole team and encourage them to stay up to date with themselves as well. Yep. Awesome. And maybe don't read everything in the media. <laughs> Stay <laughs> calm. Um, yeah. Go to the source. Yeah. That would be another probably um, wise takeaway from this is that things are changing consistently and um, we need to just stay across that as much as possible. Don't make rash knee-jerk decisions because every day the, the information that's available is changing and as much as possible, we'll try to keep you up to date and if you've got any questions, just reach back out to us. 
Yep. Welcome back, did John. Did you do the close for me, Rebecca? <laughs> yes, she did. Good work. Thank you, everybody, for coming along. My advice, because I've got to get my two bobs in there, um, is don't leave it too long to start talking to your team. If you need to make some changes within your team, don't bury your head in the sand. Start the conversation sooner rather than later because half of your workforce probably has never been through a, a situation like this. So it, don't make it a surprise when they hear some of these things. Start the conversation sooner rather than later. Thank you everyone for coming along. A copy of the webinar will be available on the blog tonight. We'll be doing another Calm COVID Convo later in the week. Um, that will either be on cost cutting or it sounds like the Centrelink topic might, might move up the list of priorities because it keeps on getting asked. Um, but thanks again. Keep an eye out for the invite for the next one and um, we'll see you all then. Thanks, guys. Bye.